0: Hello and welcome to Know Your True Self, a show dedicated to raising the consciousness of humanity. I'm extremely grateful today. We have such a remarkable guest, Peter Russell. He's a leading thinker on consciousness and contemporary spirituality. He's the author of 12 books, including Waking Up in Time, From Science to God, and his most recent, Letting Go of Nothing, Relax Your Mind and Discover the Wonder of Your True Nature. He studied theoretical physics, experimental psychology, and computer science at the University of Cambridge. He studied meditation and Eastern philosophy in India. His mission is to distill the essential wisdom on human consciousness found in the world's various spiritual traditions and to disseminate their teachings on self-liberation in contemporary and compelling ways. Let's get started. The man, the mystery, the legend, Peter Russell, I am absolutely thrilled to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Well, thank you. I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you so much for having me here.
0: We're at such a unique time in evolutionary history to be in this moment where we have so much knowledge, so many resources, so much insight into consciousness, the mind, the human condition, and yet so many people are suffering and so many people are suffering because of divided consciousness. And we've always been victim to our thoughts, our emotions, our feelings, but there's so much that's compounding that with social media, technology, the news, our consciousness seems to be splintered in so many different directions. Even when I talk to other humans, it's very rare when I actually have their attention when they're present with me if I'm on a zoom call they're looking at their phone they're typing they're communicating in other areas. people are walking with their heads down and phones families are at dinner tables they're not talking together and we're in the midst of a mental health crisis and almost no wonder with all of these variables affecting us and you know it's so important that we get back to a state where we can appreciate our natural mind the true nature of our existence and maybe we can just start this discussion by talking about natural mind
1: okay natural mind let me start by saying how i use the word because some buddhist disciplines use it in a somewhat slightly different way the way i use natural mind is just how it is when we're not worried when we're not perturbed when we're not anxious when we're not busy planning something or worrying about what we did yesterday when we stop all that anxiety-making, or even excitement-making thinking, when we let go of that, that's the natural mind. It's the mind that's unperturbed. It's the untroubled mind, is the best way to put it, the untroubled mind. And the untroubled mind, almost by definition, is at peace, because there's nothing troubling it. So the natural mind, in its essence, is a state of contentment. It's a state of being at ease. And that's the sort of the underlying core of our mind of our being and then what happens is we get caught up in some thought which makes us anxious or excited or whatever it is and we get caught up in that and we're no longer in touch with that natural quality because when you look at it almost all of our thinking in one way or another is about some discontent discontent with the present and how much better it could be in the future discontent with what might happen or might not happen what happened yesterday The underlying thing there is discontent, a lot of our thinking. And by definition, if you're discontent about something, you can't be in that natural underlying state of contentment. That's what I mean by natural mind. It's ultimately what we're all seeking. It's completely natural. Many teachers have said, you know, what we're basically looking for is happiness, peace of mind, whatever, you do different words. And there's nothing egotistical in that, in the sense of like... Only, only if we start doing that at the expense of other people. But it's completely natural to be looking for that inner state of contentment. Because I think what happens in a natural situation, you know, it's um, it's raining. And so you feel wet and you feel discontent and it's cold. And so in order to ease the discontent, you do something. You dry off, you go into a warm building, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That's a completely natural thing. The discontent is there because there's something in our environment that needs changing and we change it and we come back to contentment. The problem is in today's world, 95% perhaps more of our discontent is not because there's anything actually amiss in our life, it's because we're creating discontent through some thought system, some story we're telling ourselves. And often that story, this is the irony of the whole thing for me. That story is about how we can come to be happy, how we can come back to being content. If I just had this, I'd be content, or if I just got rid of that, I'd be happy. Not realizing if I just stopped thinking these discontent thoughts, (laughs) I'd be happy. That to me is the sad joke, the irony of it all. We're so busy worrying about whether we're gonna be at peace in the future. We never give ourselves the chance to be at peace in this moment.
0: Yeah, even looking at the cultural conversation that happens in mainstream news, I've always been observing it from my time working in advertising to my time dedicated to consciousness. And the conversation is always about a future that has yet to be written or a past that doesn't exist anymore. We're in a constant state of comparing, complaining, liking, disliking, seeking this preferable state of reality negating all of the joy the love the goodness right. that exists in the now and it's so hard for people to appreciate the now because they're getting pulled in so many other directions right, right.
1: what advertising would work if you said to people hey actually you can be quite happy as you are in the moment and um buy this product and um it won't make much difference Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's the opposite it's saying you can't be content as you are because you're missing some service or other. Then you will feel better. It's all about feeling better in the future rather than about knowing how to actually feel better in this moment.
0: I was even reflecting on COVID and I was sort of waiting for that moment, the World War II moment where everyone's celebrating the achievement of beating something, that we've created a vaccine, that we've come together and We've helped ensure that humanity can survive, and we beat it. We did this together, and unfortunately, consciousness got completely divided, and it wasn't about what we've accomplished. It became a political conversation, and then people are upset about whether you have gotten a vaccine, whether you haven't gotten a vaccine. And I'm thinking, isn't the news story supposed to be about how remarkable humanity has come together in the spirit of love to help each other i mean that was such a powerful story and it was such short-lived in the media and why are these stories so rare why aren't we focusing on what's right
1: there's a number of reasons i mean first of all you know what sells media is dramatic stuff exciting stuff or what's going wrong. i think you know part of this is because we have this bias towards you know looking at danger what's got adversity because if things are going fine that doesn't need to capture our attention just as biological organisms what needs to capture our attention is things which aren't quite right that need fixing and so i think we have this bias i mean many psychologists have pointed towards it we we notice the things that are wrong more easily than we notice the things that are right so i think that's there but it's, it's almost part of our culture it's like we want drama we want drama and then There's all the politicization behind it. Different people with different belief systems living in their own different bubbles, which has all been exacerbated by social media and things. And so in this world, we're sort of post-truth. Nobody quite knows what the truth is. And everybody's put, this is the truth. This is the way it is. So there's no general sort of consensus. Like, you know, did we do well against COVID? Well, you know, most people say yes, but no, no, we didn't because this and that. So there isn't even a consensus truth that we can all rejoice in. Right. I think that's also part of the problem, which is again, you know, you're talking about division of consciousness. It's a division between, you know, divided societies as well. Yeah.
0: You brought up all of those emotions that we hold on to, right? The fear, the worry, the uncertainty, our survival instincts. And then there is natural mind, this state of peace, joy, contentment, a blissful state, and a blissful state that's a resting state. I love when I'm in it because I just have space between my thoughts. I'm just present, I'm aware. And yet I could look in my phone, get an email, and all of a sudden my subconscious is triggered. I'm out of that moment and it takes work to get in that resting state because we all have different things to let go of. Sometimes it's letting go of traumatic experiences in our life. How other people are affecting us it could be something as insignificant as the weather like you talked about or the cultural conversation so how do we become more aware of what we need to let go of and slowly start shedding those blocks to our natural mind
1: right yeah that's the thing that they're just blocks to what is it and one thing i just like to point out because sometimes people get this idea that natural mind is some amazing state you're going to achieve it's not. It's something we all know. It's like you're looking at a lovely sunset, and you just you stop thinking, you just looking at it, you're content. That that's all it is. It's it's no exotic, wonderful thing that happens right. to you after twenty years of meditation. <laughs> it's there. We all know it. We all know it. You're just at peace, or you've had a wonderful love making session, or something. Whatever it is, it's just, it's just that's the natural mind. And you're right. It gets veiled, blocked by. I, I use the word veiled more than blocked. It's like it, it gets like overshadowed, that. covered. By, you know, how do we spot it? Mainly it's by our thinking. It's by the stories we get caught up in. um, Some of it coming from the unconscious, some of it, you know, coming from more conscious stuff. Practice I like to do is very simple one. I just call it just pause, just pause, P-O-U-S-E. And I do it, you know, any time in the day, particularly between two tasks. If I finish my email, I was going to go and get a cup of tea. I'm already changing tasks just to pause physically. And then just when, wherever my head is going, whatever thought I'm following, just to pause that to say, okay, I'm not going to follow you anymore for the moment. And what usually happens is there's two things. One, there's this sense of a little relief. Ah, yes, mm-hmm. I realise how much subtle energy tension was going into that thought because it had something about it that was either exciting or worrying. And so that was taking energy. When I pause that thought, there's that sense of Ah, ease, relief. And then I notice I am more present. I don't have to do anything to be more present. But what happens then, instead of my attention being out on the past or the future, suddenly the present re-emerges. It's like, oh, there's the sound of the clock ticking or the sound of a bird or, oh, there's that itch in my leg I hadn't noticed or whatever it is. The present reveals itself because it's no longer being sort of pushed out by the thinking. Because in a way, you know, I think it's pretty true to say we can only really be attending to one thing at a time. We have lots of things in the background, but the spotlight of attention is only on one thing at a time. It may move very fast here, there, everywhere. But it's like when the attention is on our thought, then it can't also be allowing in that background thing of how we're feeling and all of that. That's the basic thing for me is noticing in the moment where your mind is being distracted. That's what needs to be let go of. And for me, letting go is it's not about getting rid of something or think of letting go is I've got to let go of this thought I'm having about so-and-so, which means sort of banishing it, pushing it to the back of my mind, getting it out there where it's not going to happen. Right. <laughs> and yet, as many wise people have said, you know, letting go, part of letting go is letting be, not trying to change it, letting be. But before we can do that, what I've noticed is I first have to let it in. So if I've got, say, some angry thought going on about something that somebody said or something and i'm upset about and it's keeping me tense and wired up and i want to let that go the first thing is to actually let it in and for me letting it in is not so much letting in the story we're very good at that i'm very pissed off with this guy because what is it to be yesterday right blah 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 mm-hmm. telling me the truth etc let in the experience like okay what is actually happening in the body just choosing to feel it like oh there's a sense of tightness here and a little you know irritation little, you know quivering here, or whatever it is there's something going on in the body and that to me is the first thing just notice ah yes and if we can allow that in and allow it to be there that to me is the first step in letting go it begins to allow it to dissolve because often it's the resisting Of the feeling or the emotion it's the resistance because it's not like it's not nice I don't like the anger or whatever it is so I resist it but the resisting it is sort of holding it in place and I think that was Carl Jung who said what you resist persists it keeps on it's there in the background so what I like to do is just to allow it in okay what's going on okay there's this tension here when I do that it begins to soften It just begins to soften and that's the first stage in in letting it go it's no longer pushing it away, just like, ah yes, here it is. And and then, you know, also looking at the story, you know, okay, what really went on, what, you know, what may be going on in his mind when he said this, or whatever it was, you know, what was he thinking? What was he expecting? Was he upset at me? Whatever it is. Did he have too much coffee this morning? Who knows? But it's all about allowing in what is going on rather than trying to get rid of it, just allowing it in, seeing what is, seeing what is there. And the more we bring things into the light, the less they control us and the more we can begin to come back to that natural state of being, the unperturbed state.
0: Yeah, I love that. Being the object of your own observation, being observant of your thoughts, your body sensations, your feelings. And then once you've let that in, then accepting the nature of that reality and really embracing it. And what can you change? What can't you change? And I loved what you said about having the empathy To put yourself in the shoes of another individual or group of people. What in their life has led them to this decision? Why did they act this way? And it can really help just minimize all of those negative emotions and truly, like you said, bring you back into the light, which is crucial.
1: And I mean, the other side of it, how often, you know, when someone's upset at us, do we say to ourselves, well, if only they knew what was going on in me, they'd understand? If only we knew what was going on in somebody else, we'd understand. You know, and that to me is the nature of forgiveness. Forgiveness is letting go of our judgments, our attacking thoughts, whatever it is, our grievances, just letting them go and saying, okay, this is what is, and who knows what is actually going on in the other person. Right. But it also all comes back to acceptance of the moment, which doesn't mean we have to accept situations. Like if this, you know, coming back to this example I was using, somebody lied to me, saying, I don't have to accept his lying. you know, there may well be, you know, appropriate go back to him and say, look, you know, when you said this to me yesterday, I found it wasn't true. And that upset me. And, you know, for the sake of our friendship, I just need to clear this up. But acceptance means accepting in the moment. This is how I'm feeling because you can't change the moment. So acceptance in the moment means opening up to the moment, noticing how it is. It's not about accepting oh this is how things have to be it isn't at all it's just this is how it is now
0: i feel like a lot of challenges modern humans have is their reaction to the moment instead of observing the moment and going through this process they see something on social media and they have an outlet where they're not staring someone in the face and they can slander say yeah. what they want and it's a lot of inflammatory language And have we just become in a state where we've lost complete connection with natural minds that we're living in the impulse zone and just firing off destructive frequencies to each other the majority of the time? Or are we in a state where we are evolving, learning, growing, and taking so much of this knowledge and this is part of our natural evolution? Is this a pain that we need to go through and learn from in order to get back to natural mind?
1: I think in a way there's truth to both of these things. Yes, I think most of us generally are caught up in this other world that's, you know, the social media world, whatever it is, all the other stuff we have to think and worry about, that we seldom get back to natural mind. We're caught up in this other reality, which is being promoted, if you like, fostered the whole time, whether it's social media or other media or stuff that's going on in our relationships or friendships. It's almost like, One of my favorite lines is from Ralph Waldo Emerson, who said, society is in conspiracy against the beingness of every one of its members. (laughs) Our whole society is telling you, no, do this, do that, get this, do that, worry about this, instead of, our society doesn't say, hey, chill out, man, everything's cool. It doesn't say that. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) And so I think that's the truth. Where we are, that's sadly where we are, most of us, generally. And... We are learning. I think we are going through this period of history, a most fascinating, I'd call it spiritual renaissance, not a religious renaissance at all. By spiritual, I mean this deeper understanding of who we are. That's what spirituality for me is about. Nothing to do with religion, but this understanding of who we are. And this really, I think, you know, it started back 60 years ago in the 60s when it, people started realizing, hey, there could be other ways of doing things. I mean, it was pretty idealistic then. But then that was, you know, when meditation first started coming to the West, it was then regarded as very woo woo. Now Mm -hmm. everybody's proud to say they're doing it. And all these, you know, yoga came in and lots of other practices, and self-help practices, and they've all been growing, developing. And, you know, now it's everywhere. There's, you know, podcasts like this. It's lots. So all through the internet, all this information, this knowledge, these practices, we're all learning from each other. And that is fascinating that is beginning to infiltrate society in subtle ways that doesn't catch the news media you know when I talk to kids where they are at in their awareness and consciousness not just in terms of environmental stuff but in the personal stuff in the stuff we're talking about they are far far beyond wherever I was at that age so in a way our whole society is waking up in this way and part of the social media and stuff part of what it's doing is actually showing this waking up, encouraging it as well. So it's it's a two edged sword. But I think in terms of evolution, yes, we are, we are learning, we are waking up to this.
0: The evolution's remarkable. You talk about the younger generations. I work with members of the Gen Z community and to see how they collaborate, appreciate each other, accept each other, it's phenomenal and mm. the idea of even reverse mentorship and everything they're teaching older generations, opening up about their challenges with mental health. It's absolutely phenomenal. And we still, in this age of enlightenment that's happening and awakeness that's happening, sometimes feel a need to show everyone that we're doing it. And it's a very difficult tension. I always feel it myself between Participating and being a, a truly active participant in the outer world. And the outer world is a material world. And mm-hmm. we can't discard the material world because it's essential to our life. And at the same time, finding those moments like you're talking about to appreciate natural mind, yeah. recenter yourself so you navigate the material world yeah. without divided consciousness. Yeah, yes, yes.
1: And, you know, as so you're saying, it, it's right there we just have to stop pause whatever thinking is taking us away from it just and it's not about holding on just for you know a few seconds always for a few seconds like ah yes ah here i am thank you and then getting back into it and just doing that as many times as you can remember just ah yes just a reminder that it's, it's right here to it's who, it's who we are before we get caught up in all the other stuff
0: so what advice would you have to individuals? They say, uh, my mind's just too active. I don't have time for meditation. I don't have time during the day to take a pause. I even know organizations I've worked with that have invested hundreds of thousands of dollars in meditation apps. And their employees believe they don't have the time to even use them. Right. So there's a feeling that I have to move so quickly My participation needs to be in all of these different areas. I have a Facebook account. I have my work email. I have a Slack channel. I have Instagram. I need to produce content so people know what I'm doing. I need to be part of the LinkedIn conversation. It's impossible for me to achieve natural state. It's impossible for me to take a break. What do they need to know? What do they need to know about finding peace in their own life and how much participation is required? outwardly versus inwardly.
1: Yes, yeah, it's challenging. I can see that, particularly when there's, as you say, so many distractions. What I find is, again, it's hard for me to say, you know, for other people in different generations, cultural workplaces. But I find there's lots of times in the day where I am actually, I do take a break. Like for, for one thing, it's getting in and out of the car or whatever it is. It could be getting in and out of a public transport, a train or a bus or something. They're not moments when you're actually working. I don't get into the car. Well, I don't get into the car, I'm busy texting you to get into the car, you know. <laughs> there's, a, there's a moment we get into the car, but just to sit for 10 seconds, you know, just to, just to sit. And then when you get somewhere, instead of jumping out of the car, sit for just five, 10 seconds. Like, okay, here I am, recenter, come back to this. And it's really a question of doing it as many, many times as you can, as you remember, so it gradually becomes more and more familiar. And as it becomes more familiar, you enjoy it. You say, ah, oh, yes, I like this. I like this. And with meditation, you know, people learn meditation. And then their teacher says, OK, you need to do this for 20 minutes twice a day. And they suddenly think, I haven't got time to do it for twice a day, 20 minutes. Or they try once, I haven't got time. And so they let the practice drop. What I say to people is, have a routine whereby you say, I'm once a day, I say it's fine, if you can't do twice a day, but say in every morning, you have a place where you meditate, it may be a cushion, it may be a chair, and you go there, you don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay there for 20 minutes, you go there and if it's 10 seconds, 30 seconds, two minutes, whatever, you're building that habit of taking a little time to stop for yourself. And very often you can find, ah oh, yes, Five minutes is fine, five minutes and 10 minutes. Other times on a weekend, oh, I can sit here for a whole you know, 20, 30 minutes, whatever. But rather than not meditating because you feel like just haven't got the time to do it, it's just just do little bits. But then what I recommend to have is a regular practice. So it's not something, oh, maybe I meditate today. It's like part of your routine, like cleaning your teeth. Sometimes you clean your teeth very quickly, you're in a hurry, other times you really get in there and floss and do everything else.
0: I love the micro moments. I know even on my own meditation journey, I started with doing really long full body scans and I would do 30 minutes a day, 20 minutes a day, a couple times a day. And eventually once I became comfortable with finding natural mind, I can sit down now when I feel a little bit of anxiety or worry or fear creep up and to sit down, take some deep breaths, follow my breath. It's so quick that I can get back into that state and recenter. And I think that's what's so great about finding those rituals and routines with meditation or those small moments throughout the day where you're not required to be looking at your phone, doing something is to take that breath and just be aware, be aware of the true nature of reality, the true nature of existence, all of the wonder in this world.
1: Yeah. You mentioned the breath. You know, that's very simple mindfulness practice. It's very basic. You're just noticing the breath. You know, you're about to text somebody. Why not just notice a couple of breaths, how they are? Just like, ah, oh, I can see I'm really tense. Okay, ah, that feels better. Now send the message, or, or whatever it is. There's so many times when we can just do that. What I have is little notices pinned up around the place saying pause. <laughs> love it ste- it's one of my staircase so i know i have to move them around because after a few days i'm so used to where they are i don't see them anymore <laughs> but it's just whenever i see it it's like i just say okay. okay here i am here i am okay great thank you
0: yeah yeah and earlier in the conversation you brought up those moments that we all feel right when we're at a state of natural mind and i feel like one thing that we need to do more is always just connect with nature and absolutely this is one giant field of consciousness and our organic connection is to all of this and usually when people go away for a trip they feel it and i always encourage people you know turn off your phone yeah. commit to just having complete awareness of universal consciousness and right. your existence in it if you want to have an epic moment of enlightenment that's where it's going to happen
1: right yes go for a walk in the park and leave your phone in the car when you go for a walk life's not going to totally collapse because you're 45 minutes without your phone in a park it's going to be much better (laughs) yeah so little little things like that we can just begin to rebalance things and on the other extreme you know the big things i mean i love to go away for five day retreats just being silent completely disconnected and everything a sort of digital detox and just meditate and be quiet and i know that's not available to a lot of people but other end of the spectrum i find that really valuable at times like i just really come back to self and just recognizing that quality of natural mind and as you were pointing out the more familiar the easier it is we just we can just say ah, we have to do anything like oh it's, ah here it is
0: and i remember in letting go of nothing you even talked about the synchronicity that happens when you go through those long periods of meditations, those digital detoxes, those retreats, because your visualization, your meditation, what you're looking to bring into your world, that connection is so much stronger with universal consciousness, that it is important to know that to achieve our goals doesn't mean logging on every morning and being frantic about trying to push our evolution forward, but also being an active participant asking what we want from universal consciousness in order to let that in
1: right and yeah i'm glad you mentioned synchronicity because it's it's a fascinating topic for me but if i look back at my life almost everything that's been of any significance in terms of my career my work my relationships whatever it is has come not through my bidding or working it. has been some synchronicity, some chance meeting with somebody, some of them very, you know, unusual. They sort of blow your mind. Wow, how did that happen? But nearly everything has come through some strange coincidence synchronicity. It's not through me making it happen. I mean, sometimes it does. But, but all those opportunities, were synchronistic opportunities, I'm sure many people, you know, how did you get the job you got? Well, um, I was talking to someone, he said, whatever. It's like things open up. I would say the more centered I am in myself, the less fraught and frantic and running around. The more that seems to happen, as you say, I noticed after meditation retreat, it's like, it's what? It's amazing, like the universe is just trying to help me everywhere. But I think there's a basic principle here is the more we can get out of the way, by which I mean get our worrying minds out the way, the more something can work through us and show us what we need, And maybe just our inner voice begins to shine through more clearly.
0: Well, thank you so much for all of your contributions. I mean, you've been such an uh, amazing thought leader. I know prior to the show, I was talking to you about different works of yours that have influenced my life as a kid, it was the brain book. And then later on, it was from science to God, which really helped me unpack my own spiritual existence. I grew up Mm -hmm. Catholic, and I started to realize, how boundless I truly am in this universe and my energy system, uh, remarkable. The Upanishads, I was blown away by that book and just understanding, you know, as one of the earliest scriptures written before mm-hmm. we had all of these consciousness blocks, what humans were able to intuit was just remarkable. And, yes. yeah. you know, just to know that we can get back to that, we can get back to that state when we didn't have all of these blocks. When the only right. block was the infancy of language and the voice in our head that was
1: yes, <laughs> yes, yes, and our parents <laughs> right, and our parents right. But we didn't have social media. We didn't have phones. We didn't have any we didn't have any any of that stuff. Now it just occupies our lives. It was so. In a way, I mean, I wrote this piece called "Did Buddha Have It Easy," and there's two sides yes because he didn't have any of the myriad of distractions that we have and yet he didn't have to teach us you know what we have today is we have all these distractions and we have the availability of so much in the way of teachings advice programs courses books videos the internet so much opportunity to learn which he never had and so i think the important thing is to just recognize that and avail ourselves as much as possible All the wisdom that is out there, and the wisdom is growing fast. I mean, that's what's really important. We're getting wiser. Even if we're not living that way yet, we're getting wiser. And that's the most important thing.
0: Thank you so much, Peter Russell. Thank
1: you. Really enjoyed being with you. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for joining in. Always remember you have a choice. Take an active role in your own evolution. Know your true self.